Hello and welcome to Inspiration Boulevard, the podcast where we discuss the creativity and brilliance that exists within the field of mental health. I'm your host, Alan Hyde, and I'm joined today by Associate Marriage and Family Therapist, Matthew Fernandez. Matt, how are you doing, man? Doing good, man. Living the dream, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know we were kind of chatting a little bit before, but it's been a while since I've seen you. I miss you. It's good to good to have eyes on you here today. Yeah, I miss you too, dude. It's been forever. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> so what's what's life post grad school looked like for you? And I know you kind of like we were just chatting about jumping in and working with kids. Is that kind of where you had jumped back into the field and, and been doing most of the work? Yeah. So, um, well, life post grad school is uh, is everything they said it would be like, I guess, with the all the training we've, we got in grad school and, um, felt, felt really well prepared, um, going into the field, uh, definitely got some good training in grad school. And yeah, right now, um, the place that I've been at now is, uh, it's a DMH contracted site. So, uh, so we're doing a lot of the, the billing and a lot of the paperwork stuff, um, and work with, primarily uh age groups is yeah five five to eighteen um couple of adults on my caseload but um okay. yeah it's it's technically i'm a school-based therapist so gotcha kind of, yeah the the adults you're working with is that like you know family members of the kids or is it just kind of like so some yeah so i i do have a a couple of adult clients um that are they've either trans for, or they've graduated out of high school and they're still on my caseload. Gotcha. Um, and every once in a while we'll get a couple of, uh, like floaters here and there. Um, but we primarily treat, uh, adolescents and, and, uh, the little ones too. So, oh. yeah. Nice. You've been, you've been doing that for what, a couple of years now? Yeah. So my two year anniversary will be, uh, October of this wow. year. Wow. So it's going into, yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty much on the way towards uh, hours being done. I'd say probably by like October, I'll be done with my hours. You feeling ready? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's been a ride, man. That's for sure. Um, yeah. I I I've got plugged into this uh, agency that I'm at right now, and um, and the hours just started building up. You know, it's just yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, even knocking out those kid hours, right? You know, like oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> kind of the thing they warn you about in the beginning of how difficult it can be to find a spot to do that. Yeah, you know? that's that's definitely um, that was truly a big uh, big factor for even this agency just coming in and doing um, school based services. Because um, I mean, we do we we're, we're in the community as well, so I do home visits and stuff. Do uh, it's it's uh the title that I have is technically a uh, therapist slash social worker. Oh, okay. So, so I'm doing a combination of a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is it still home visits like with COVID and everything like that? Is it just kind of taking extra precautions and all that good stuff or? So at this point, no home visits now um, because of COVID. COVID's pretty much just changed the entire uh, way that things are done with therapy. It's pretty, yeah. uh, I mean, we're doing Zoom all the time now. Um, I'm not seeing any clients face-to-face. 
So I have sessions sometimes with like five-year-olds on the computer. It gets pretty uh, interesting, that's for sure. Um, how, so yeah. you, how are you managing that? Because I, you know, I, I have a friend who does some private practice stuff with kids and, and uh, a little bit older than that. And she's sharing that it's, it's kind of difficult you know, to manage and keep them focused. And Oh, yeah, no doubt. That's probably one of the toughest things. Um, I've noticed even, uh, it's crazy because a lot of the crisis stuff that it was going on before with kids in school and suicidality and all kinds of stuff kind of stopped for a while when COVID came out and it's like this like big, big crisis of COVID came and And then now all of a sudden, um, it's, a little bit like your priority is just trying to keep somebody focused on a session for like more than like 25 minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's become like the main focus, which is crazy because typically the work I'm doing like about a year ago is doing suicide assessments, doing full on safety planning, you know, sometimes having to hospitalize uh, clients as well. Yeah. And now it's literally like just, you're on a video chat trying to keep your client <laughs> to focus in on like, Hey, what are we going to focus in on today? You know? Right. right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Cause I, I was just having this, this uh, conversation in a process group around suicidality today, you know, and <clears throat> you know, for, for those listening, right. I imagine a lot of the, you know, people who, who are engaging right now are mostly therapists, but you know, for the, the person listening that doesn't, you know, kind of, gravitate in these realms or you know or maybe struggling with those things i think it's it's a topic worth discussing because you know you know in in our profession you and i like in in the way that you know the populations that we work with i would imagine we see it every day you know oh, yeah. and yeah. kind of just normalize it. And i'm curious like if you could put some words to that or just kind of what your experience or running has been with like ha- handling or managing suicidal clients yeah so <clears throat> I, I would definitely say that this this job specifically uh, brought a, an even bigger insight for me to see how serious uh, suicidal um, issues and just like suicidality is even just running through with younger ones right. and and just running rampant throughout all of I mean, I've done suicide assessments for kids as young as like literally six or seven years old. It's, it's a trip. trip. And, uh, and it's definitely something that is tough because you get, you don't want to get desensitized to it Mm -hmm. and you don't want to be like insensitive, but it's, it's like you said, you do it so much that it's like literally another, another day at the job, another day at the office. You're like, Oh yeah, I just did a, a full on, you know, safety plan, suicide assessment, and evaluated the, the risk level for like an eight-year-old. Right. And, um, and definitely seeing a lot of uh, just heightened anxiety, a uh, lot more depression. I mean, kids are just, just struggling and hurting, and the families obviously are too, um, right along with them. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm glad you bring up that point, you know, because I think – even being desensitized, like when you fight against that, right. Or, or you're, you know, you're just checking in with yourself as a clinician. It's like also in the process of inviting in that the family is in pain, 
You know what I mean? And yeah. I think it's, it's so quick, you know, and I'm sure you can speak to this, right? Like I've worked with a lot of clinicians that get kind of lost in the sauce. You know what I mean? Like they get yeah. lost in like, you know, these parents are hurting the kids or, you know, the system is all out of whack and, and it can get real discouraging. Right. right. And, and it's interesting because when, when we can hold true to like the compassion around it and, and help those kids see the resources right around them, that's kind of the biggest, like, that I never thought about in the beginning of grad school that like suicidality when you're in the thick of it is usually when you're surrounded by your closest resources. And it's like, it's so interesting to see that play out, especially with kids. Mm -hmm. But like in the beginning, it's such a crisis, you know, or like it's a scary topic and right. You know, just seeing that kind of like play out of like, I, I loved that you said like the family's in pain too, you know, and a lot of times it's going to originate there, but it, it really does come from that source of pain. Yeah. And that's definitely probably one of the toughest things to do too, is when you, you work with these families that a lot of the families that I work with are um, very low income as well. Right. So they're, you know, most of their homes, they're just, there's all kinds of stuff going on right. and mental health is not even really like, it's just something that the school maybe referred them for yeah. or like even like their probation officer or something or the, or the court said, Hey, you got to do therapy. And um, so these families coming in, some of them, they, they don't even know, you know, wait, what is anxiety? What's depression? Like, what are you talking about? How does my eight-year-old have depression? Uh, how, how does, how, like, how do they have stress? They're, they're too young to have stress. Like, and so, so even dealing with that and the families um, having that where they're, they're like literally hearing, oh, like, what do you mean my daughter or son said they want to kill themselves yeah. or like those types of things and having to work with the parents as well and say like we're here to provide support we want to do planning safety planning with you um it's a team effort and coming into that that because like you said it can get really scary and a lot of times you want to go like where's the manual like let me see what <laughs> what, yeah. you know, what do we do here in this situation and um and it's tough it's, it's tough for sure you know it's like <clears throat> i think on on some of the the like manageable ends it's like hey what is what is the steps that we can take to manage this what are what are the steps that we can do and then there's like that other side of the spectrum of like the families who don't under, don't understand and it's understandable from i think our end right, right. because of like you know you got low socioeconomic areas you got lack of education lack yeah. of resources right like it makes sense that like you and i know you know, what occurs in, in, in the face of, you know, those situations and circumstances, but then like in, in mental health, it's like the, the opposite side of like the families not seeking the resources they're running from it. Right. So they view us as the bad guy, right? Like you're coming right. in right, right. Right. You're yeah. coming in to tell us that we're not good parents or you're coming in to tell us, right. Like all the things that we don't want to talk about have to be talked about. Exactly that's probably one of the biggest things that I would say I even experience with, with the parents too, is like, they, they almost look at us as like, they want to say, well, you're just trying to get us in trouble, mm -hmm. you know, or you're just trying to catch us up with DCFS or, you know, I, I, I had a parent literally today text the whole team that they're withdrawing from services because my client's sibling <clears throat> as a therapist who had to make a DCFS call uh, and the mom was just like not having it. And 
it's just tough because like you said they're they're like whoa like what are you doing you're just invading in our space you're there's there's too much like uh i don't want to say paranoid but they're they're definitely apprehensive yeah you know it it shakes up the system you know what i mean and it shakes up you know what i think people know are are familiar with you know there's there's a lot of work like i work with substance use and i work with adults and and predominantly males but you know i work with males and females and you know just whatever gender identification and and it's really this conversation of the development of the family system you know what i mean the patterns that we learn at an early age like even as i was hearing you share like you know what a pattern that's being modeled for for that young child that sibling is getting therapy and DCFS calls and now you've got to come out of therapy, right? It models, right? Unhealthy boundaries. You know what I mean? It models, right? Like these things that are going to be safe for you, you don't get to partake in, you know? And those are things that, that kind of transpire and and kind of get held onto in the form of like the, the patterns that develop in the ways we relate to other people, like later in life, you know, and it's, it's, it's tragic, you know, but it's, it's also, you know, it's like, I don't want to paint that picture of just tragedy. It's also beautiful that there are these resources, but it's difficult and it's tricky business. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and like you said too, painting both sides of the, of the picture of saying, Hey, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt, but there's also a lot of like growth and a lot of development. And that's even going into what you said specifically earlier about what's what kind of attracted you towards the field or to the field you know yeah well i think that's a perfect segue right because like as we talk about you know like like you were touching on most days we're going to show up to the office no matter who we're working with and you know no no matter what age group and a lot of days there's going to be you know uh you know child protective services calls there's going to be suicidal ideation assessments you're going to be working with people who are stuck in really dark emotional places you know, or, you know, at best, you're going to be dealing with someone coming up against like, how do I manage hope? And as I hear all that, without being a therapist, right, if I heard that as just a person on the street, I'd say, who the fuck wants to do that job? You know, (laughs) so it's true. Like, what's the reward in that? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And and you and I know there's, there's a ton of rewards, right? Oh, yeah. Even just from like starting the education process all the way into doing this work, but I'm curious what what inspired you to go in this direction? And you know, you're you're someone that I that I love, I care about, I've known for a long time, right? And and you know, I just kind of want to hear like what got you into this field, what brought you in this direction, what inspired you, what lights you up to to show up every day and do that beautiful work? Yeah, definitely. So it probably, I mean, even just psychology in general. Going into psychology in high school, I took psychology as an elective. I loved it, loved the, the teacher that I had. And uh, I was just drawn to the, like where I've always been drawn to working with people, mm. um, helping people, trying to help people sort out their problems, uh, trying to be there to support them and, and give them empathy and, and just kind of listen. I've always been one of those people that, you know, enjoys listening. Let me listen to your story. Tell me your story. Mm. And, and then pursuing um, psychology and undergrad and then grad school, um, it, it definitely just started to click. I just started to notice like, hey, this is, this is something that I am really intrigued with, like learning about just all kinds of stuff with 
you know, we, we talk about family systems. We talk about the development of, of our, just our minds in general from when we're little to adulthood, you know, um, learning about all the different disorders that are out there. All this stuff is intriguing. And I found that to be very interesting. And, and I noticed that once I did my, my practicum, which was my, uh, you know, just as a trainee, um, I worked with college age students and and that was something that was was really cool to see not only just the development of them in that transitional stage and phase of their life but to be there and support and know like some of these clients that I had I'll you know I'll never forget their growth and their progress and and their change that they've been able that they were able to do really on their own you know, it's, it's the support of the therapist as well, but they have to be able to put it into practice. And when, when I did that, that internship, I just knew, I was like, this is what I want to do. And, and I felt like I could see myself doing it for, uh, for a long time. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, cause I had a very similar experience and like a lot of the people I talked to on this podcast, um, you know, it's kind of like those first introductions when we first sit down in that room where it's like, okay, I think I found my direction, right? I think I found, you know, kind of my calling or, or kind of the, the career path I want to pursue for a very long time, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's something special about it, you know? And, and I li- like, just from my perspective, as I heard you sharing that too, it's like that concept of being a support in the room as people are exploring, like not just their innermost demons, but you know, their emotional experiences, navigating their behaviors. And it's like coming alongside and you're walking down a path. And, and this is how I like I explain it to my clients sometimes. It's like, we're walking down a path and my job is not to walk ahead of you and it's not to walk behind you and push you further down the path. I carry a flashlight with me. And every yeah. so often as we walk down the path right next to each other, you're going to point at something and I'm going to shed a light on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're going to look and we're going to see, is that something we want to engage with? Is that something that we need to walk past? Is it something we need to sit here and pause and figure out what it is? Right. But I love that you highlighted, you know, just kind of being that support in the room and and being drawn to that, you know, because I think it it speaks to like a lot of us as therapists. Yeah. I love that, that analogy too. I mean, I always, like you said, it's like, I tell clients, I'm like, Hey, I'm walking right here beside you. Yeah. We're, we're walking right along. I'm following at your pace. And sometimes clients, you know, they'll seek out answers and they want answers and they want you to give them the advice and, and share and say like, well, what do you think I should do? You know, that's the classic, <laughs> that's the classic one that, that as therapists, we get a lot. And well, I'll, what use... am I paying you for? <laughs> right. And for, and for, uh, for my uh, my clients and even age group, um, sometimes they're they're even just straight up because they're teens. Some of them are teens, and they're just like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't need this. <laughs> yeah, this is dumb. <clears throat> but my mom said I have to come. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I'm like, well, I'm like, well, how can we make the best of this then? You know? How do you well, navigate that? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's tough because I I've had a. I mean, I still have some, some clients that are, uh, that are on my caseload that they technically don't really even know why they're still in services. Right. <laughs> they need it. That's for sure. For um, sure. but 
really just being open and and I, I think every therapist develops their style as they go on and and even their the type of population that they work with they kind of learn how to adapt and and it's it's a fine line between not you're not becoming friends and you're not becoming like best buds but you're you're understanding even like for me i work with teens right. you know i have to be practical with them i have to be you know doing doing too much of like the the oh you know therapy 101 and let's let's focus in on uh all of these you know we know all these technical things and terms and stuff and some of these kids they just want somebody to listen to them and and be validated and it goes right back to like some of the traditional just first practical things that we learn as therapists and it's just like empathy validation and some of them they're like they're not having it they don't want to listen they don't want to they don't want to talk but i've seen some really huge growth in some of these kids and i'm and and they've changed my life for the better to see their growth how could it not you know what i mean like when we engage in this work it's like it gives us the invitation for us to do our work right but it also gives us like you know that model that we're modeling to them when we see someone grow it's like how could that not impact us you know how could oh, yeah. that not be something that we you know take something from if i if i can share just a quick little story too of like inspiration yeah from a client i, I mean I, yeah. I i when i first got to the agency that i um that i work with now mm-hmm. i had a client on my caseload who was he was uh 17 he was he was using drugs. He was, uh, ditching school. He was stealing. Uh, he had a suicide attempt where, um, he had overdosed on fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was not having it when I got assigned to him. He was like, I don't want to meet. This is stupid. Not don't understand why I have to do this. Yeah. And building that, like breaking down the wall was hard. The barrier, um, I was able to kind of get in and, and talk to him about, he loved music. He loved hip hop. And so we started to kind of like talk about music and how we could express, he could express himself through it and things like that. And and then I was able to kind of start talking more therapy with him after. And um, to make a long story short, I mean, this kid, his story is just like what he went through as a kid um, in the streets and stuff is just horrible. And I saw him, he, he finished, he completed high school. Um, he was in the street one day out in Monrovia after he had been discharged. And, uh, I hear somebody just call me out and he's like, Matthew. And I'm like, where, what, what's up? Cause I, you know, I, I would go to the high school a lot too. So I turn around and I see him, my client and, uh, He's like, Hey, what's up? And I just like instantly was just like touched just to see that he would even call me out and want to like talk to me. And he came up to me and he gave me a big, like, you know, high five, gave me dap was like, Hey, what's, you know, I checked in on him. I'm like, how you been, man? And, uh, and he was doing good. He was, he wasn't in the streets. He was, he was doing what he had to do. He was, and just seeing that from when I first started treating him as a client, Right. So like a year and a half later, almost 
um, those, those handful of experiences, they don't come along a lot, but when they do come along, it's like worth everything. For sure. For sure. It's like, and even as a, as you were telling that, it's like, you know, it's like they told us in school, you may never know. You may never know what happens to this human. So true. Right. It's it's so inspiring when, when you do get to see it and and it's just, it's nice to see, you know, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be this earth shattering thing for our life, but it's inspiring, right? It's, it's an indication of like, okay, the seeds were planted. I did my job. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just knowing too, like when you can say I did my best, like I, I, I poured it all out. I was, I did what I could do for this client and, eventually you know sometimes they fall off the map off the grid sometimes we never like you said we never get to see them again stuff happens and we just have to kind of know like i did my part you know yeah you know it's it's you remember the story uh dr mullis used to tell us in grad school about the you know when um the therapist gets to the gates of heaven you remember that story he used to tell us refresh my refresh my memory with that so, just really quick is how yeah. yeah yeah he he talked about how you know you may never know what happens to these clients but you know and and, and i apologize for for anyone listening you know we're going to go into a spiritual realm for a second <clears throat> but he used to talk to us in grad school about that concept of um you know when that therapist worked his whole life right and he saw all those clients and never really knew you know what happened to him eventually one day right after a long, fruitful career, he passed, and at the gates of heaven, he was greeted by all the faces of the lives who he had touched. You know, wow. and that that story that he would tell us, like, in, in how vivid he would tell that story, it always mm-hmm. stuck with me. You know what I mean? Like, I may not know in, in this life or, or, or even in the next, I may not know what yeah. happens. You know what I mean? But we're touching lives. We're out there giving, right? We're out there you know, receiving, we're out there being good and doing good in the world. And, and I, I think that that's, you know, selfishly, it's what I think the world needs more of, but mm-hmm. that's why we're therapists. So God bless. But that, yeah. that story always touched me because I think there's something inherent about that in the inspiration that you're touching on that, that seeps into any field and anything we do in life. Is it when, when you effectively in your career touch the life of another person in a way that like, builds growth or, or, or touches them in a way that inspires them. You know, I, I think there's something magical about it. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I, I, now that you said that, I do remember Mullis talking about that yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I need to get him on the podcast someday. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always reflect back on our uh, psychopathology class. That's always a, yeah. a huge reference to. Yeah. So those rare moments, you know, it's like, it's, it's also why, like, I've been, you know, talking to people about what inspires them, just like we've been touching on. It's like, those, they're rare. You know what I mean? Like, you're just, you're not promised those opportunities. And I think in a lot of careers, like, you get to find out what happens to the person after you've had the transaction of business, you know, in our, yeah. in our business, they walk out the door. And unless we have an appointment on the books, we may never see them again. You know? It's true. I mean, I, I've, uh, and I had a, another client that was in high school that he, um, he refused to, he actually, before all this started with COVID, he was wearing a mask. So he'd always wear a mask and a hoodie and cover himself up and would never leave the house. Uh, he just stayed in his room all day. Yeah. And uh, it happened really suddenly where it was almost like, like a, a psychotic break kind of thing, how it happened so quickly 
but um, he was just super depressed, uh, wouldn't leave, uh, wouldn't do anything really, wouldn't leave the house. And, um, you know, I, I, I treated him for a while and, and identified that he needed a little bit higher level of care mm-hmm. um, because he was so severe. And I, he was upset at me a lot for different things of safety planning and stuff and, sure. and just different things like that. He was failing out of school. Uh, completely just not doing any work, uh, no, no drive, no nothing. And, and he transferred to FSP, um, the full service um, partnership program and, uh, and ended up being there. And um, I saw his um, mom and his sister with a parent advocate that I have worked with on the team and they were in the community cause it's a small community too. Sure. It's hard to not see clients and, and they go, Hey Matthew. And, uh, <laughs> and my parent advocate, Victor, and we're like, Hey, and they're like, just want to let you know, so-and-so is in school. They're finishing up. They don't wear the mask anymore. They took off everything. They're wearing regular t-shirts. And the mom was like, thank you guys so much for, for, uh, for what you do. And, and um and just getting us the help we needed and stuff and i looked at my parent advocate and and we both just said like that never really happens but we got that affirmation and just that closure knowing the kid was good and and it's it's hard to to hear those to like hear those good endings Mm. you don't really hear them very often right but just that within itself um was like man there it is right there. That's why I do it. That's why I get up. That's why I work late. That's why I answer calls when there are emergencies. And because uh, I'm, I'm just trying to make a difference, you know? Yeah, you know, and it, and it fuels that continued, you know, growth and, and taking care of ourselves and that and, and seeing like, hey, this process does work. And, and that means I need to work it too. And I need to do the things that I need to do to make sure when I show up that I can do that work because when I do that, I'm planting seeds that allow other people to do that work. And it starts by modeling, you know, like you're touching on is like, you know, getting in there in those, those younger age groups and, and really showing them like, Hey, I'm a safe dude that you can talk to. And you may not know why you're here, but let's talk about hip hop. Let's get on the same page. I'm just yeah. a normal guy that you can chat with that also happens to understand, you know, maybe what's going on for you. Yeah. And, and if you could give me some insight into that, I can understand it a little bit better and reflect things back to you that, that maybe you understand better than I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the rapport building process is obviously, you know, is just so huge Yeah. Uh, with, with services, whatever age group you're, you're working with building that rapport and establishing that sense of trust to even say to people, it's hard to talk to somebody that you've never met about all of your deepest, darkest secrets and stuff that you never tell anybody. And I mean, that's hard. That's tough work. And, and letting people know like you're brave for doing that too. For sure. For sure. It's, it's (laughs) a, it's a scary offering, right? (laughs) It is. We're not model. We're not taught that that's something that we should pursue, you know? And, and not everybody, right? I, I think there's there's a fair amount of people out there that are, you know, kind of, they grow up and they're taught like how to pursue healthy relationships, how to engage in that thing, but it's certainly not everybody and that's okay, right? But I think for a large percentage of people, therapists included, right? Any, any human walking the earth has a propensity to, you know, not engage 
an in-depth conversation, not engage in emotional conversation that helps navigate and manage emotional experiences. And just like, you know, from our perspective, as we could speak from like a male perspective, but also a male perspective in our society, we're almost socialized right from the get-go to not feel our feelings. So to sit down with another dude, I, I was just having this conversation with a client today who had sustained some like pretty intense sexual trauma when he was uh, a boy. And mm. it was very strange, awkward, weird, scary, unfamiliar for him to sit in a room with a male. And you know me from in person, right? I'm a six foot five dude. I'm a big yeah. yeah. And sit in a room and talk about sexual trauma and the history and, and recall and flashbacks and all of the feelings that come with that. It's, you know, and, and before it even goes into all those realms, just talking about straight up emotions, it's, yeah. it's a very awkward thing to do at first because we're just not socialized to do it. No, and, and that goes to show too, even with like, like you said, about being a male and a, a male therapist and working with different groups of even cultural considerations. For sure. I mean, in certain cultures, it's like, we don't talk about feelings. What are those? <laughs> you know, what are those? Like, uh, definitely another thing that is really tough for people, you know, talking about, like, just talking about their emotions, but then going deeper, like you said, and going into stuff that's like, brings up shame, and right. brings up uh, embarrassment, and just like, fear and all that. That's, that's hard work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, you know, so one of the things just like quick background, uh, you know, so I started attending Al-Anon after grad school and, you know, one of the things I talk with my sponsor consistently is just the concept of, you know, being able to dig to the pain, you know, and, and to, to be able to like consistently over time sit with that, you know, and, and it's so counterintuitive to what we think is going to lead us to grow. It's like, look at all the big motivational speakers in the world. Like, you know, they're just telling you to go out and do things or they're telling you to keep moving or they're telling you to, to keep accomplishing things. And those are all wonderful things. But at what point do we stop and just kind of be? At what time mm-hmm. do we stop and just feel, you know, or just be present in this yeah. world, you know, and in this environment or with our families and our relationships, you know, it's very counterintuitive. And then here comes a therapist flying directly in the face of that, directly in the face of that. And, you know, that concept of like, you know, getting to those deeper levels, it's like modeling on our end as therapists, like, here's what this process can look like, right? Like you said in the beginning, I'm not here to become your friend. I'm not here to become like your best bud, but I'm here to become probably a deeper relationship than even that, you know, Mm -hmm. and in a way that is completely outside of the construct of of the ways that we process relationships in our society right i'm here to show you it's okay to sit with our feelings yeah yeah and even like you said in today's society it's so go 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 Mm -hmm. and we're so distracted with everything else around us that it just becomes i mean even for somebody who's not really dealing with anxiety depression or trauma or something the average person doesn't sit and, and just kind of like check in with themselves. There's not, there's, they're so busy. Yeah. They're just, you know, we're so tied with our phones, our, you know, we've got 
I mean, our devices have devices now, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, our, our little robots have accessories. It's, <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. And even when we started out in grad school, like it wasn't that easily accessible yet, like with yeah. like smart phones and wearable technology and, and all kinds of other stuff wasn't as uh, common yet. And right. now you're seeing it where, um, even the little ones and teens and stuff are using it and people aren't really taking time to even check in with themselves. For sure. For sure. You know, it's like uh, running group therapy sessions as often as I do a lot of the time, like I'll just collect the phone, you know, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm working with addicts too, or it's like self-control yeah. is already, you know, kind of a hard thing uh, and, and lack of concentration, all that stuff. And then you add in the phone into the mix for any human, for me, when I'm sitting in my office, I'm right here on my phone, you know, oh, yeah. like, just like, Oh, I wonder what's going on here when I have documentation to do, or I, I have a phone call to make, you know? And so then you, you <laughs> yeah. add in someone who is, you know, maybe trying to avoid emotions or maybe trying to find a distraction. Mm. Well, the cell phone is a fucking perfect way to do that. Oh, no doubt. You can do, I mean, you can do everything with them now. I mean, I have, Look at, I have two with me right now as we're speaking, you know, and, and one brings up stuff about work right. and the other one is personal stuff. And it's like, sometimes I have to even say like that work phone is going in the bag and not, yeah. not even like, <laughs> nope. Sure. Well, Self-care. <laughs> Self-care, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, I had, I had a mother of one of my clients kind of give me the tirade of like, why I, I wouldn't email her back on the weekends or why I wouldn't text, you know what oh, I mean? And man. it's like, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it's like not just boundaries, you know, but the conversation of like, I leave work at work, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I've got a, I've got enough going on in my life. And I think what you were touching on before is like, even in our profession, even in our field, it's like everybody is subject to, you know, the propensity to have a lot of things going on. You know, even the average person who practices good health, you know, good healthcare, self-care, you know, yeah, takes care of themselves. You know, even those individuals that are managing their lives really well, still, I think in today's day and age have access to so many things, so it's, many things. It's so true. And it's like, like you said, with uh, just having people like clients with their, their phones in session as well. It's like, all right, let's, let's put the phone away. Let's, and now with the laptop, and now I'm doing Zoom. So I got I got kids on here that are trying to like multitask a game while they're in uh -huh. session, you know. And I'm oh, like yeah. I'm like, dude, I know what you're doing, you know. Right. But um <laughs> but get off of Minecraft. <laughs> yeah. So then sometimes I'll be like, all right, well, let's share screen and like show me what you're doing. Like invite me into this world of yours, you know? But yeah. oh, wow. But it's really like it goes to even another topic of as therapists, we're having to be even more creative than ever, I think, with yeah. treatment. Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, the whole entire field is just, even with what's happened recently in current events, has is just taking a grand shifting. Um, and it's really interesting to see because, I mean, when we were in grad school, telehealth was like frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it was, it was foreign. It was unknown. It was yeah. scary for a lot of people, you know, because like, I, I think there's a fair share of individuals who come into therapy as a second career, 
you know, like we went to school with a, with a lot of individuals who it was their second career. They're a little bit older. That's Technology yeah. wasn't even around the way it was for us when they were kids. You know what I mean? It's intimidating, yeah. you know? And, and like you were saying, like when we were in grad school, I mean, we practically grew up with cell phones, probably like around middle yeah. school is when probably you and I got cell phones. Um, but like even, even that, like, you know, the little fucking candy bar cell phones, you know, the Nokia's, you know what I mean? Like that's what we were rocking with. And then by the time you and I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I still have one in a, in a, you know, a drawer somewhere and it's still on, you know? Yeah. And, and, and they were limited. Yeah. It was limited. And, and now, like, like I said, you can do it's, I mean, you want it to be encrypted obviously and stuff because of the, the privacy and confidentiality. But I mean, there's, there's sessions on your phone with uh, Zoom and um, sessions on your laptop and all this stuff. And I would have never thought we would have advanced that quickly into this type of therapy, especially with younger ones. Like, you know, it's it's interesting because pre COVID probably like three, four months before COVID, I was looking into doing some like webinars and trying to, you know, kind of start some online groups. Yeah. Um, And kind of thinking like, ah, you know, there's not really um, a push for online therapy right now. Like some people are doing it. You see like all the Facebook groups are kind of popping up around it. Right. This was happening last year too. And I was like, you know, I I might, you know, supplement what I'm doing at work and and offer some services online and and try to spread it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And then COVID happened and almost overnight, overnight it went from like i wonder if people be interested in this to like that's the only option we have it's It's the only option it's a trip it is a trip and it goes and honestly like i was thinking about how even working in um in us an agency where we're contracted through the department of mental health and everything has a code and everything has a you know the notes are due at a certain time and you know all this stuff we have productivity and and i'm i'm thinking like the way that it's shifted to now the game has like been changed almost like we're talking we had we've had staff meetings where our ceo and our supervisors and stuff are telling us this might not be the same even when this is done like like literally uh in-home visits community mental health all this stuff might be completely obsolete now once this finishes up because of what's happened and the safety factors of people saying, well, we, we can't go into people's homes and we have to say, I mean, I was going into people's homes full on right before this happened, you know, when it doesn't matter what neighborhood it it was wherever and wherever meeting people at coffee shops and stuff, you know, it was just like regular routine. And like, honestly, probably the the codes even themselves on our on our uh, actual um clinitrack which we use for note writing and stuff mm. the codes have changed dude like it says telehealth it says covid incent blah 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 yeah. it's like yeah. literally the system has changed and it's really interesting to see like this time next year yeah where we'll be if we'll be back to like oh yeah we're going and meeting in person, full on, you know, in school, or if it'll be like still a lot different because this is, this, this is, it's like unfamiliar territory, you know? 
Yeah. Well, and I think there's a lot to be said for like, you know, the safety factors on the end of, of doing this virtually for individuals who don't feel safe going into the homes. You know, I think it opens up a, a lot for the county to be able to offer these services virtually. Oh, definitely. It opens up. There's going to be a ton of therapy. Are you kidding me? There's going to be a ton of therapists that are like, I'll do county work. If I don't have to go into that home where I'm risking my physical body, yeah, yeah. you raise your hand. Dude, I would do it. <laughs> I'm like, I'll do it more. I, I like, honestly, I could see myself staying in the county work now, only especially because I don't necessarily have to subject myself to going into areas that are not the best. And right. that's just being real. And also putting myself in situations where like, hey, it's always, you know, we, we've learned since day one, if you ever feel like there's a safety issue or you don't feel safe just even going in, don't go in. Right. And, and this whole thing of like, wait, I can just meet with the client and, or I can meet with my therapist yeah. via video. Right. Like, I don't play, have to play drive. Minecraft. Yeah, right. I, I can do split screen here and like be playing a video game and talking to my yeah. therapist, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting time to be a therapist. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it truly is. And, and I was talking about this, uh, I think it was the last podcast I did. Um, and we were chatting about just like going through this, right? Like this is, this is going to be an era, you know, like an era that, you know, everyone looks back on for a long time and like, whoa, remember when COVID happened? Yeah. You know, or like a hundred years from now, they'll look back and like, like, you know, I, I had never thought of the Spanish flu before, but when all this started yeah, happening yeah. and then everyone started talking about it, it's like, oh, wow, they survived that. Holy yeah. smokes. And it's going to be the same thing here with this kind of thing. But being in, in the line of work that we're in, it's it's been real interesting to see like, you know, all the conversations about like first responders and we're kind of like the silent first responders. Our job never, yeah. stopped. you know, no. we never, we never went on a quarantine. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think, right from what I've heard from county stuff, but schools and, and people working in hospitals, like therapists and treatment centers, like all the different settings, therapists were still going to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and when this first hit, I don't know about you, but I was more busy than I had ever been, especially mm -hmm. in my private practice. Cause people were, you know, spinning out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's honestly, I remember being at my site. We were at Monrovia high school as a team and we started getting the notifications that things were shutting down and that yeah. the NBA season was closing and that uh, Disneyland was closed. And everybody was like, Disneyland is closed. Well, this must if, yeah, if Disneyland is closed. They own yeah, everything. If they're yeah, this, yeah, they're like, this is nuts. So um, seeing the looks on students' faces and seeing the looks on parents' faces yeah. and even us as an agency trying to navigate like, okay, wait a minute, how do we provide services in this time of need yeah. and, and crisis when we have families that are like in desperate need of stuff, but now we're not even like, we can't go to their homes. Like, what do we do? And some people were still having, yeah, we're having to go and, um, and provide services in the community. And then all of a sudden it just kind of like shut down and, yeah. and it became, use your laptop, use your phone. You're not going out. You're, you're not going to uh, be in a home. You're not going to be in the community. And it changed a lot. And I, I mean, I tell 
people like other therapists that are in my agency as well we're like kind of feel like telemarketers in some ways too we're just calling people hey checking in wanting to talk (laughs) you know (laughs) like you have some time to chat because they can dodge you now Uh like we can't just drop by and and be in office and stuff and now it's an even it's an even more uh bigger obstacle because it's like if they don't respond to a text or they don't respond to your zoom link right there's no there's no hunting them down you know (laughs) yeah there's nothing really uh and and it's interesting to see even how some clients have flourished in this type of environment yeah that's another thing yeah and i i think it's important that that we talk about that as as we're putting information out like in in doing this conversation is it that's that's something worth highlighting you know because Everybody is talking about how bad these times are and what's going on in the field of mental health. But the reality is, is I think a lot of people are actually being very resilient. Yeah, yeah sure. There's a lot of people being neurotic, but yeah. that's to be expected. This is a difficult time and it's scary and there's a lot going on. But I think a lot of people are actually doing pretty damn well considering how big of an issue this actually was and is. I would agree. And I would agree to say that even adding to that, seeing how resilient the younger age group has been in this is like just huge to see to to know like that they are really i mean some of them didn't get to do their high school graduation some you know going to college they had to come back home Uh, others they're doing online learning now distance learning Um, the resiliency of of a lot of these clients even that i have to see them and I point that out and highlight that for them to say, this is, this has been a scary time. It's been really scary. And to see you still have stability and, and work through these things has been huge. Yeah. And just highlighting that for them to know, like, and sometimes I joke with them. I'm like, Hey, you can tell people in the future, like, Hey, I made it through COVID. (laughs) You know, and, and I worked through my stuff and I survived. Like I, I made it through even with all the anxiety, the trauma, the depression, the just everything that's gone on. Um, because it, it has been scary. Yeah, It's been tough. Yeah. You know, like being a relatively like emotionally managed adult, you know, when this hit, I was scared. I was like, what, what, I wonder what's going to happen next. You know what I mean? And like, I wonder if I really should stay home. And then you go to a grocery store and it looked like apocalypto. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my gosh. Was... Is this apocalypse shit going on? I can only get a can of yams. This and is... one roll of toilet paper. Yeah. If that. <laughs> Where the and, this, and now, I mean, like, oh, I, I remember being at the store and there was no hand sanitizer. Yeah. There was no Clorox wipes, no nothing. And, and I'm, yeah, you're sitting there going, whoa, like being at a restaurant, when they officially shut everything down, uh, I was at, um, what place is it? Uh, the habit and they, everybody had masks and stuff. This was like the first day back in March. And they're like, you can't sit down anymore. Like, and we can't touch your money. You can't touch they because nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. And I was at work on my lunch break and I'm like, wait a minute, I still have to see clients and stuff. Like, yeah. what, like what is the world ending right now? Like yeah. what's going on? Cause what happened? Yeah. Cause what I want to check in on family too, if I can, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and, and it's been an adjustment process and just kind of like 
people as a whole have been so resilient through this through this transition because like you said it's it's affected so many people yeah well and like we were touching on before right like you know it's not it's not about the the recognition of of our job going on you know or or being a first responder it's really like i i was talking about this in one of the other episodes it's like it's really you know it's just nice to be on the front lines of this and seeing how resilient people really are yeah on on some of the deepest levels that people are willing to go and to talk about right like you know just as a byproduct we were already connecting in deep ways and now i get to walk with you and watch how in in a profound way you handle a pandemic which is something we'll never be able to say probably in our lifetimes ever again it's so true and even saying the word quarantine right checking in with clients i'm so how's quarantine going how's quarantine treating you you know and some of them are like I can't take it anymore. And others are like, I have one client that's like, he literally is like, dude, I'm good. I just play Call of Duty all day and do my schoolwork and I'm good. And I'm like, all right, well, hey, if it's working for you, it's working, right? So uh, just adding on to that, it's like definitely seeing the, the growth in people in this from when it started to now and how they're still just some of well most of them they're thriving they're they're making it work and even families i mean because i mean i work a lot with the families as well and the parents they're working jobs they're trying to find a job there there's all this just chaos going on and just the resiliency of the parents and the families together and and the unit that they they create to support each other yeah is huge and i could i just I give a shout out to all of the parents um, that are making it work in this time, especially with, um, with their circumstances that were already pretty tough before this pandemic happened <laughs> to make it work now. I mean, it's just, uh, it just goes to show sometimes when you put like that flashlight and you point it on something and say, Hey, let's focus on some of these things that are really good that are like coming out of like out of this situation. And it's not like, not to say that it's a great situation, but there's just some, some things that people are achieving that we got to highlight as well. Yeah. Well, it's a trick of the trade, isn't it? Yep. Right. It's like, you know, cause I, you know, especially with kids, but adults as well, a lot, right? And that's when it gets really complex is, you know, I think we get so focused on overanalyzing all of the negative details or we become hyper-focused on the negative aspects of life. And a lot of times it's like playing those little mind tricks, you know, like legitimately playing a trick on your own mind to focus on what's actually going well so that you can break out of that mood disturbance or lift your mood just a little bit or to mm-hmm. manage a symptom that felt otherwise unmanageable because it was rooted in exactly what you're spinning on, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, even talking to people now, it's like, so tell me something good that happened this week, right. you know, something good. Let's focus on, on the, the strength based aspect of things. Like what, what new skill or strength are you developing like now and what can we focus on moving forward to try and build that you know right there would have have been a time in my life in younger years where i would have scoffed at like a gratitude list 
or checking in with someone about a gratitude list. And it's actually a practice I engage in now. And <clears throat> this is going to lead into a question is a practice I engage in now is I actually reach out to people in my fellowship. And I just, I send a little gratitude, you know what I mean? Like one of the things that'll be on is like, Hey, I got to do a podcast episode and catch up with a good bud, you know? And like, that's <laughs> definitely going on my gratitude list. Yeah. And like being able to share that with other people and hear what they're grateful for. And, you know, it's, it's things that I would have never understood the impact of. And I might've scoffed at when I was younger that play such a crucial role in my serenity now in life, you know? And I'm curious, right, as I just kind of share that, if there are any of those kind of concepts that you find yourself kind of gravitating in to find the connection to just that positivity when we're dealing with such difficult things on a daily basis. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I would say that in, in all this and trying to figure out and I'll emphasize self-care, self-care, obviously. Uh, but in some ways I got like too preoccupied with everything going on and trying to do work and, and like focusing in on, wow, all this stuff's going on. What am, what do I need to do to fix this, that? And, and I almost got like, like a felt the burnout come where I was like, I'm not taking any time to like focus in on like my state and how I'm doing and checking in on just things that I'm, like you said, grateful for mm. like simple things. And so even like now it's just come to be as simple as like a, a quick little note on my phone where I'm like, super grateful for what happened this week or today or something and almost like just practical journey journaling now where I would have normally been like journaling is not really my thing not really seeing what's beneficial like in the sense of how I would be you know 10 years ago and now I think just just doing simple things like that and taking time to even be like you said uh, or in the here and now right. and, and saying like, <clears throat> wow, I'm, I'm outside. <laughs> I'm, I'm breathing. I'm, I'm taking in some air. I'm seeing, feeling the sunlight. I'm just, just really taking some appreciation for the simple things, uh, in, in life. Cause it's so easy to get distracted with everything else that's going on. Yeah. Well, we always want the big thing, right? We always want the next big accomplishment, the next big thing. Right. And it's like, what are these simple things that are right around me? Like you said, like just being outside, you know, be having another day, you know, being able to connect with people and, and do some fun things, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, uh, <clears throat> and, and it's been even more difficult with all the obviously restrictions. Yeah. Um, so you have to get really, really specific. Yeah. It's almost yeah. counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, see, see, there's a lot of bad things in the world. Well, there always has been. And there always yeah. will be. And I get that. Right. And, yeah. and I want to validate that. I, I understand. I'm an, I'm a neurotic person too. I get it. I spin out. I overanalyze all kinds of things. Yeah. And, and the invitation there, right. Is like, that's where the work is, is to then challenge that is to find support is to connect with the community, to check in with, you know, some gratitude to have conversations with colleagues, to be able to just kind of appreciate life on life's terms, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that would be probably be my biggest recommendation to anybody that, that I come across now, not even just clients, but people that I know and that I talk to regularly, just 
take some time to be focused on the here and now. Yeah. Uh, really like, and not the here and now of like the chaotic here and now, like, <laughs> the, you know, the here and now of I'm just here even right now. Like this is a feel good time. It's me talk, like you said, chatting with uh, one of my boys from grad school that, you know, we haven't chatted in a long time. And, and that's, it's just something to reflect on and say, that's, this is awesome, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and like you, like, I love that you put that right. Like even in the midst of the chaos, like removing and, and being able to just check in with you, like what, what's going on right here? Am I okay? Am I safe? Like here, yeah. am I good? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's something to be grateful for. Like if, if all else fails, come back to that. <laughs> they, exactly. and if, you know, even, even in those moments where like, you're not feeling safe, like I'm here, I'm alive and breathing. Something to be grateful for. Definitely. So speaking of just kind of things that you recommend, what would be the most impactful or most inspirational book that you read in this field that you would recommend or, or that really touched your life and impact you in a big way? Man, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would, I'd have to go with either and, and I recommended this book to somebody recently and it's a practical one. It's literally, it's mind over mood. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I definitely just feel like the practical tools of it um, for people it, are really good to be able to just have that, that like reference. Cause a lot of people want that, like, wait, where can I go to um, and like refer to if I'm dealing with depression or anxiety and stuff. And that's super common um, uh, right now. Uh, but also um, I'm trying to think of something that, that I want to like highlight, like, yeah, you got to get, and, and I'm, sure. I'm kind of torn, but I mean, <clears throat> depending on, on what somebody's I, I see you even have the road less traveled over. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't go very far without that one i mean that's like that's a great one too you know like <laughs> there's um going back to uh grad school dibs in search of self oh you know? yeah yeah for sure like i remember reading that book and just being like oh man this this brings a lot of insight to just so many different things mm -hmm. um and um, not only as a therapist, but looking at it from the client's perspective as well. Yeah. Um, so for like people that depending on what you're looking for, uh, that would be another thing. I would also say the DSM. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> I'll recommend that. I am just people kidding. people really start spinning. <laughs> Everybody, don't take that seriously. I was just joking. But but I still want that copy of that DSM-1. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Got to locate that somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> dude, Dibs in Search of Self, right? Like, I like that you highlight that it's, it's a good book for people to read as a clinician, but it's also a good book for just people with kids to read. It's a good one for, I think, even like, like a kid who, who can read at a high level, I think is good. Yeah. Uh, with the guidance of a therapist, right? Because it kind of, it just highlights that therapeutic relationship that develops between a therapist and a kid who's struggling, you know? And, and I think it does it in such a non-threatening way, you know? Yeah. I, I, and it's definitely something, like you said, it highlights from 
different perspectives where you could get it and uh, not be a clinician and still be like, oh, wow, I, I got so much from this. For sure. um, the, way, the way of being, you know, uh, just different, so many different things that like I could, I could highlight for, uh, what's the one, I don't have it on, it's, it's in my room. Uh, is it How to Be a Therapist? Yeah, yeah. By Rogers? Uh-huh, yeah. All the, yeah. All, all the, all the basic foundation, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know I've picked different ones, but yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, mind over mood is, it, it's one of those workbooks where like, when I pick it up, I could use it with a five-year-old or I could use it with a 50-year-old and it would still apply, you know? And yeah, because these are the basic foundational concepts of skills, right? When you're looking to put those things in your toolbox, you know, to manage life's daily struggles, you know? Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah. And I, I just, it's, it came to me because I literally had somebody reach out to me uh, asking and I was like trying to go through wealth of resources that I have and be like, well, what do I recommend right now? Uh, and it was um, they told me like, yeah, they're dealing with severe anxiety and severe depression. What can they, what can you, what book can you recommend? And I was like, Oh, there's so many, but let me give you something super practical really quick, which is CBT. You know, you mm -hmm. get, that's that's what you get yeah well especially with kids right it's like <laughs> yeah. skills let's manage yeah. something that's out of your like let, let's learn how to manage yourself which is the only thing you have control of in an environment where everything is out of control you know yeah and cbt is really good for that yeah definitely now we went this whole time without telling our viewers that not only are you a therapist but you're also a hip-hop artist <laughs> you want to talk about that a little bit <laughs> sure why not give a little plug how, how is the music going right I, you know I, I know you mentioned that it, that works with some of the kids like connecting with and i could only imagine that that helps connect with a lot of you know teenage boys yeah so the music is it's taken a halt because of a halt because of what's going on right now sure I haven't been able to do any live performances or concerts anywhere yeah. uh but I have two songs that um, one of them is called it's it's it got postponed because of everything going on. It's called SSRI and it's a play on um, on the words of like medication mm -hmm. and using meds and it's not mocking it or anything. It's literally just if you know what if you deal with depression or, or anxiety or or uh, any sort of like mental illness where you're aware of certain medications yeah. you'll know what an ssri is and um it's just kind of to highlight that and catch your attention and the song is about depression and anxiety yeah. so that's actually as soon as i can get my brother to come and record yeah. <laughs> that one will be released um because that was one that i felt like we really needed to tackle uh mm -hmm. with everything going on this was actually pre-covid yeah. And then post COVID, I have one that's called literally, uh, it's called quarantine. And it's, it's like pretty much uh, being quarantined to like, not just locked up in your home or locked up uh, from everything else, but like when fear or anxiety and things like that try to keep you locked up from being free yeah. and, and being able to just like express yourself and be you and, um, and talk. Cause fear, I mean, 
fear and doubt and and even like phobias they'll they'll they can be crippling you know and they'll 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 literally just tie you up and keep you locked in and it'll almost feel like you're quarantined so um to add to that yeah those those are projects that are coming out uh the hip-hop stuff it's really interesting to try and navigate that as a therapist because i have to to keep my my instagram profile private Mm -hmm. because clients will try and look you know we we know this clients will be nosy and they will want to look us up on social media so that's really been tough trying to navigate through that is like making it to where i'm able to still advertise but not be like uh i don't even know the word um exposing myself too much for yeah. for clients so that's that's tough well it's, um, a, it's a tricky it's a tricky balance you know what i mean like even doing this kind of stuff it's it's been interesting just kind of like rebrushing up on ethics and, and laws and stuff to make sure like hey look I'm, I'm staying in the clear you know we're just having fun we're talking we're having conversations and and how do you market that and how do you keep those things kind of like one degree separated from clients who could find you and, and all that kind of stuff. But also sometimes, yeah. right. They're going to find it, you know? And, and, and it's true. Yeah. And, um, and I even, like you said, talking music with clients, that's usually my first go-to uh, with establishing rapport with young, with either teens, um, even the little ones too. But like, I've had some really, uh, really like tough clients that I was able to just kind of break through to, through talking about music and and sharing and saying like who's an artist you listen to and I mean I know a lot about hip hop and different artists and stuff so when you say something I'll be like oh yeah I listen to that or I I know what you're talking about and then they'll kind of look at me like what you know <laughs> and and I get the card too pulled where it's like well how how old are you like are you even qualified <laughs> to be doing this work <laughs> especially with with parents as well and yeah. um. And so the, the music is, is all also changing as well. The way, uh, I mean, people are marketing themselves differently now too, with, with not even being able to be out in public. And, but it's really cool because eventually my goal is to tie that in with therapy. And yeah. I would love to do, um, do music therapy as well. Yeah. I think it's a worthwhile pursuit, you know, I think, yeah. oh, and you and I've talked about this, you know, just even stemming back to the past, but it's something people really connect with and you're touching on that tonight. They're like, it's one way, it's a door to open to get in there and, and reach a kid who otherwise wouldn't talk to you. Yeah, definitely. And, and even, um, I mean, you can, you can gain insight to somebody's worldview if they pick a certain song, yeah. you know, if, if a kid tells me, oh, well, um, you know, they say like, dear mama by Tupac. I love that song. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what's, what, what is it that you like about it? And it's like, well, I, my mom was on drugs when I was growing up and I didn't, you know, you instantly just get like, you know, Oh, that, that makes sense. So you have, you have a lot of things you can relate to, you know, right. certain, certain artists. And, um, and it's almost like a, like it gives a quick little bio, you know, depending on who they call out or who they say, what song or, and and it's it gives like some context to a lot as well. Yeah. Well, you you remember Marlis we went to grad school with? Yeah. Yeah. So she's she does like some music therapy stuff. And it's interesting that you mentioned this because she made that that exact point of like you know kind of exploring identity stuff within that too, or just kind of like what we project 
onto that or just kind of like what aspects we're relating to and mm. not just the song but the artist right and being able to explore and she said it much more eloquently than i did because she you know you and her work with music in in those ways right uh -huh. but it's it's such a fascinating concept to be able it's like you were saying when the the client of yours was in the video game or like doing whatever they were yeah. i loved how you put it like hey share a screen and invite me into your world right because that's yes. what this process is you yes. invite me into your world exactly and and that's probably one of the biggest things that a lot of people miss as well as even like parents yeah. parents miss it where i'm like hey play therapy is a little bit different now uh it's not as traditional as it used to be <laughs> and play therapy does include uh seeing what the video game is and checking in on what they're playing and what is what do they what draws them to that game yeah. um different things like that like hey I, what is it about this character that you relate to yeah. and, you know just different really simple questions because i mean it's really like you said highlighting that like you're like hey invite me into your world i want to see uh -huh. what it is that's so appealing about this and maybe i can be a part of that in a sense you know yeah. it's obviously important to you well what a unique opportunity to explore things we've only guessed at you know what i mean like yeah what what a client might be going through when they're actually engaging right there in the game and, and being able to talk to a therapist real time probably so much more to be revealed you know and, and then eventually this shit becomes virtual and yada yada there there's just so much within technology yeah. to be revealed but being on the forefront of that like being right there on the precipice as these things are coming down the pike is fascinating it is yeah. fascinating to have those opportunities definitely a lot of uh, opportunity to do some studying and research right now if yeah. you're a <laughs> if you're a psychologist <laughs> for sure for sure do you want to give a shameless plug for where people could find your music and, and just kind of the name of, of the band that you and your brother started and the hip hop, you know? Area? Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I appreciate that. So if you just go on um, Instagram and literally type in authentic.made, my profile picture will pop up. You'll probably see me holding up my therapist badge uh, <laughs> being funny. And uh, the link to the music, is um is in my bio i have to switch it back because right now it was a zoom link for uh that was working for church but um yeah on spotify you can look up authentic made or on itunes you can look up authentic made and it'll pop up there uh just scroll through it's um yeah and if you type it in on google i think we'll even pop up too yeah. so um be on yeah be on a lookout for for some some new music coming out it's been a long time coming had a had a couple of things that need to get going first before that but you know ready to release some new stuff so yeah sure yeah and, and for those listening this far if you're you know if you're looking for some good music if you're into hip-hop right look no further than matt and his brother who are putting out some really really good stuff right and just kind of you know two dudes who who really care about people you know what I mean? Like you just being in your life, Matt, and, and, and having opportunities to hang out with you and your brother and do some different things with you guys, right? You got two God-centered guys who really care about the world around them, putting out good, wholesome music that also has flow. You know what I mean? That you can also <laughs> jam out to. You know what uh, I mean? I appreciate that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, Matt, I, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and, and doing this with me and 
just the opportunity to catch up with you. No, uh, thank you, man. It's a privilege to be here and uh, definitely was awesome uh, touching base again, uh, considering that we've, we've come so far from taking just a regular class and in grad school and now actually working in the field. So it's awesome to see what you're doing as well. And uh, yeah, anyway, I can help and be a part of whatever you're doing. Let me know. You got my, you got my information. So for sure. Well, you know, I'll be reaching out. Thanks, man. Yeah, definitely. Cool.